Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast, episode 13, and I'm joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. I'm Elliot Bloom. Our special guest today is Sean Morse of the Big Ten Network, and uh, Sean, I want to welcome you into the podcast. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, first time uh, for you. We are broadcast or taping this one, rather, from uh, the Pinnacle Bank Arena in Lincoln, Nebraska, on the eve of our game here against the Cornhuskers on uh, an upcoming Sunday. So not sure when this is going to actually air or when we get around to posting this. But uh, if you hear the background noise, you'll know what's going on. The Boilermakers down on the floor right now going through a little bit of practice. So uh, we'll get right to it, guys. Uh, One thing I wanted to talk about is we're looking at scores all day, as most people do on a Saturday. Um, Let's talk about this Big Ten race. Uh, It seems like I think it seems like we've had more competitive close games this year than in recent memory. And, and you know, you've been around a long time, Cliz. It just seems like every game is going into the final minutes. Well, I just wanted to say, since you didn't introduce me, my name is Larry Clisby. I am a member of this podcast occasionally. But, uh, well, thanks. Uh, thanks for being here, Larry. Thanks for introducing yourself. So, go ahead. What was the question? The, the, que- <laughs> the question was the competitive games in the Big Ten Conference and how it just seems like this year more games have gone into the final media timeout with a legitimate chance for both sides to win. It seems more so than recent memory. I mean, we're approaching the midway point uh, of the conference schedule, and I can't recall another season where we've had more tight games. Well, I, th- and I think it also shows you, you know, after four games, I can't remember the last time after four games that you didn't have at least one undefeated team. Right. And so, you know, to your point, Elliot, you know, last week, Wisconsin goes in, has to go into overtime against Minnesota. They go on the road this weekend to you know Madison Square Garden. They have to go to extra session to beat Rutgers. And you know Rutgers had been you know pushing a lot of people. They pushed Iowa before that. They pushed Indiana. So it's it's as close. I don't think maybe you have once you get beyond, in my opinion, you know Wisconsin and Purdue and Maryland. You know those three are kind of I think right now probably yeah. the, the top three, but. Northwestern's right on the heels, and then you've got a whole bunch of teams that uh, I still wouldn't want to play Minnesota. Well, Northwestern is is actually tied with us, and um, you know we have a showdown game with them on Wednesday, depending what happens uh, tomorrow night. And of course, as we're taping this, people will try to put in perspective of where we are. But in those games on Saturdays, you mentioned. I I just think that I've had a lot of people say, well, the Big Ten is bad. I don't like that term. I, I think I don't think we're bad. I think we have some above average teams, probably quite a few of them. Right. And and the lower uh, teams are competitive because those guys aren't the, the, we're just not top heavy. I don't think we have three teams that are top ten. Right. Well, like, you could make a case that we don't have the elites, but I'm not sure. I mean, there's only a couple conferences in the country who do, and yeah. you could make a case that. You know, this year I think when the when the non-conference was over, everybody crowned the ACC as probably the top league in the country. Big 12 maybe on its heels. Uh, you look at what's happened since then uh, in the ACC. You know, Florida State was rolling. They've kind of come back down to earth. You know, and as we speak today, North Carolina gets beat on a day like today. Duke has certainly had their struggles. Georgia Tech uh, has really done some good things. North Carolina lost. North Carolina. Did anybody see the uh, video on Roy Williams throwing the chair? I haven't seen it yet. All right, we threw a chair, and it's really been uh, really publicized. Roy Williams throws chair. 
Well, there was a stool. They went down to the end of the bench, picked it up, and threw it about one foot. Now, I was a member of the greatest chair game. I called the greatest chair throw of all time, and that, of course, was Coach Knight's throw at uh, Assembly Hall. So when I saw, you know, I was hoping that we may see a something similar. No, no, this was this was about a one-foot toss. And it's not even into the, the bench. It's not even a chair. It's what a stool. Chair? Right, right. I was so. Well, you look at that, but look at the, think about this day and age compared to. And I was talking to our players about this the other day. We were talking about when they go to the monitor now, which seems like all the time to look at flagrant ones or possible flagrant ones. Back in the day when you know the famous Celtics Lakers game when when Rambus gets taken out going to the basket and Bird and 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 Jabbar in each other's face and you know that happened two or three times a game. You dusted yourself off and you kept playing. Well, and those Sean, days are long gone. Well, Sean played back in those days when Big Ten conference yeah. you had to be a man to play. Believe me, and I mean it's changed a lot. Well, it, it, exactly, Larry, and, and you know everyone kind of understood. Guards knew that if you went in the lane. You were going to get put down, yeah. And 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 if you were a big and you didn't put the guard down, you were coming out. <laughs> and and it was really even I think more when you had only two officials. And and Larry and I go way back. We remember when the officials weren't exactly pictures of health. <laughs> and uh, and uh, that th- if you got down there before one of them, you know, got over like next Tuesday, there was a lot of things that could that could happen and did. A lot yeah. of stuff. A lot of stuff off the ball. In fact. You know, Coach Katie made his reputation defensively in our league by what was happening off the ball. I mean, you right. know, guys would, I mean, it wasn't easy going through any pick when you were playing a Purdue team in terms of uh, guarding people. But uh, Well, any everybody used to, it was this tradition, or not tradition, it was taught when you were on defense and a guy ran in front of you through the lane, you bumped the cutter. Yeah. Everybody bumped the cutter. That was like, that was defense 101. Now it's a point of emphasis from the leagues that hey, you can't do that anymore, and we're going to be watching and we're going to call it. So it's all it all goes back to trying to free up the offensive players to score more. I will say that points are up uh, across the board in college basketball. Oh, I'm okay with it. Yeah, and you know I, I think the game's as good as it's ever been, uh, but there's certainly a lot of differences. And we went through the previous two or three years adjustment periods getting to this point. I think. Well, and to me, you know, the athleticism I don't think has ever been better. The thing that kind of hops out at you is, you know, you, you used to have teams that would have a majority of juniors and seniors. And, and I don't care how talented a team is or an individual is, there's something that comes with playing with guys for a long period of time that they can, they can communicate without having a coach have to go over there and look like he's trying to land a plane. Right, so Absolutely. you could you, you could do a lot of things when guys are a little bit more experienced, and not that it's better or worse; it's just different. Um, it, and and I think that the skill level may not be as high, the athleticism is higher, but you know the the skill level is is a little bit different, especially because of the way the game has changed. You don't have many guys that can play with their back to the basket. They can, right. they can right. They can locate the basket you know by sense by they they have the footwork that they need and i think that's one of the things that to me that i enjoy watching you know caleb play is that yeah he can he can pull his way to the basket but he he has a nice little inside pivot and and he kind of understands angles and that just is something that you just don't see as much yeah and the one thing with uh with caleb swanigan for us is he's really he's developed the outside game 
which he was shooting them last year, but <laughs> sometimes to the detriment of the, uh, I would say a lot of times just it wasn't the right situation uh, for him. And he's now this year he's and he understands time and score a lot more. And he's you could tell he's worked hard in the offseason. He's making a lot more of them too. He's worked hard, and I tell you that the you know I had the chance to see you guys you know right before Christmas. I know that was a big thrill for Larry. That was probably his Christmas <laughs> his Christmas wish was fulfilled. Absolutely. But uh, you know what? It, it, there was a play at the Georgia State game that that really stood out to me, and I made a point of pointing it out a couple times. Is that it, the game was blow? It was a blowout, and uh, there's a loose ball, and the first one on the floor after the ball was Caleb Swanigan, and to me. That set a real tone. When you've got a guy that's putting up the numbers and, and is willing to do that, when your best player is willing to do that, then you know the rest of these guys, whether it's this team or any other team, they almost have to come along just out of guilt, if nothing else. Right. And, and that was a play that I, I just kind of filed it away, and, and it stood out to me. Well, you can see it. You can, you can see it the other night against Michigan State. Is that? Uh, I mean, we had to. We really had a take care of that problem for Miles Bridges. I mean, he was unstoppable and, you know, was putting up a performance that was for the ages. He hit 12 of his first 15 shots. He had that, he had two incredible yeah. rebound baskets on, uh, uh, on dunks. He had a sweeping hook shot with his yeah. offhand over the lane. He was hitting every three-pointer he could throw up there. But here's Caleb with 25 and 17, popping a three-pointer here, uh, having a baseline jumper on one foot on a fall away. I mean, so he was able to answer everything this kid gave us, and every time that crowd got a little going, especially in the second half, uh, Caleb would just would silence him. And then, of course, with, that, with our outside shooting, you know, with P.J. and uh, Dakota hitting those outside shots, they were able to, you know, just silence that crowd of Breslin, which is always a beautiful thing to see. One thing I want to talk about, <clears throat> and a little background for our listeners, um, we've gotten to know Sean really well over the last few years doing Big Ten Network games. And he and Larry have uh, basically a crush on each other. Um, and Larry, it's really. Larry hasn't figured out he can do a lot better. It's but I'm holding on. <laughs> and it's really nauseating. We walk into these gyms and those two, they run over to each other. Oh, hey, hey. And they just saw each other a couple weeks before. But in all seriousness, we've. Uh, we're big fans of Sean, and it's good to have him on with us here. And Sean, talk a little bit about the ne- the Big Ten Network. You know, you were there uh, right out of the gate, weren't you? And I mean, did you did you see it getting to this point? I, I didn't. I didn't. I don't think anybody did. If anyone goes back now, everyone can't really remember a time when it wasn't around. Right. But but the first year, you know, you had to maybe have. Your, you know, your little brother up on the roof on one leg standing, you couldn't get it. Yeah. And um, it was a change where a lot of people were, it was going from the old syndicated package and uh, the way that it has really grown, um, you know, the number of games that they have on, uh, you know, the number of opportunities that they have, stuff like the journey, I think has been really good for the league. Absolutely. And, and I think it's 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 got to help, you know, guys like Coach Payne or another coach when they go on the road and they can say, look, and they can say it legitimately now because it's in north of 60 million homes, is that, look, every game is going to be nationally televised, and, it, and it's and it's the truth. Um, now, now, some of the analysts, you know, you could probably do, you know, you could probably do better, but nevertheless, it's going to be uh, yeah, nationally televised. And I do have to throw that in there that uh, you have to understand, too, that Sean was the only analyst to talk to me. So, <laughs> I mean, that had, that had a lot to do with it. And, of course, uh, his partner for 
several years was Tom Hamilton, who's the voice of the Indians, and I'm a Cleveland Indians fan. And so, you know, I wanted to get closer to Tom, so I went through Sean. But hey, hey my, my wife wanted to get closer to some of my friends. But yeah, I, got you. I, I was the middleman, and I closed that deal. I would, I would though. I, I'd be, you know, I, I remember when ESPN came on the air, and I was in t- television at the time, and I predicted what I've always done with predictions. I failed miserably and said a 24-7 sports <laughs> network will never work. And and I basically said the same thing when the Big Ten Network came on. I said, really? We're going to go with a Big Ten Network and be on 24-7 and think this thing's going to work? Yep. Uh, That's right the now. veteran mm-hmm. sports announcer yeah. hitting more balls out of the yeah. park. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, just, <laughs> it's just amazing. But Sean, you know, played at Northwestern and uh, was a good player. Uh, a lot of people would say, you know, Painter says I wasn't a very good player, and he's accurate. But but you know, Sean was a, Sean was a good Big Ten player, and I I kid all these guys because I think any guy, I think any guy that can play in the Big Ten and make a career of it, is well, a pretty pretty good basketball player. And Sean wasn't. That, that was one of the things I wanted to get to. Sean, talk us through. So what? Talk us through your journey to end up at Northwestern to play college basketball. Well, uh, I'll tell you my visits, my four visits, uh, and then you can figure out from there. Um, my first visit was to the uh, University of Wyoming, which is nice, um, but unless you're going to hunt and fish, um, <laughs> Montana State, okay, uh, Illinois State, who was coached at the time by Bob Donawald, and, yeah, yeah. and I called him the psychopathic Benny Hill. <laughs> if you remember, he kind of looked like Benny Hill, and he was he learned from Coach Knight, so he certainly had that. And then and he had the same he had the same dialect as Coach Knight. So uh-huh. when he when he talked, he almost sounded just like him. Yeah. Wow. And then um, it's it's funny. I think really things sometimes do work out for a reason. I, w- I was scheduled. Uh, I was going to take a visit to Northern Iowa because that wasn't too far from where I grew up, and it was one of those I was just going to drive up. And uh, Northwestern called me, and they'd been recruiting me a little bit, but I've, apparently they just went down their slow white guy list, <laughs> and one guy went to Indiana, another guy went to Michigan, and then they got to me, and um, I went there on my visit. I knew it was in the Big Ten. That was pretty much what I knew, just you know, watching them on TV. And for me, growing up in a town that had 4,000 people, if you... If you'd have dropped me in a place like Ohio State with 60, you might as well drop me on the moon. It wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And the campus was small. There was, you know, 7,500 undergrads, which was good. And um, I, I just kind of said, you know, I want to see if I can play in this league. And it was close enough to home, but it was far enough away where you could kind of stake your own claim a little bit. And uh, later like this, you know, when they were driving me down Lakeshore Drive, the coach is sitting there and he's talking to me. And, and I... I, I I'm getting nervous because, you know, there's buildings and, and he says, um, Hey, you know what we, and all I heard was classrooms. He says, and he's pointing these things and I hadn't said much. And I said, coach, I said, if I got to come down here, I ain't coming. And he says, Oh no, it's law school. And, and I said, well, I am a lawyer and I'm not going to be a doctor. I said, <laughs> can we go back? And, and, you know, we went back and I called my folks and, and, uh, I said, you know, if they offer me a scholarship, I said, I really think I want to come here. And I had no idea about the academic. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. At that time, were you aware of the academic reputation of Northwestern? No, my grandfather told me a lot of things, but one really stands out. He said, the Lord looks after idiots and children. And he said, you'll outgrow one, but you'll always have the other one. (laughs) And uh, and he was right. And my English teacher was probably the most excited, you know, that I was going there. And and 
my, my parents just wanted me to go where you know they thought that I was at a place that I could you know maybe do things that I wouldn't have an opportunity to do otherwise and uh so when they said hey you know what do you what are you thinking because I hadn't said a whole lot and I just remember looking at coach Falk and I said do we sign something or what do we do and he goes you want to come I said yeah he says no you got to and I wanted to do it before they changed their mind. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. They actually like watched a tape or something. <laughs> so Coach Falk is Rich Falk, who then went on to work in the Big Ten conference office for a long time. Um, so talk about your journey, your 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 time at Northwestern. Obviously, a very successful career. Yeah, and I, I learned a lot. It was a, it was a big adjustment for me. I mean, I, I I grew up in a town that when I left had four thousand people in it. What were the years? What were the I was years? there from eighty four to eighty eight. Uh, the, the the uniforms were short and they were polyester. So <laughs> you probably noticed if you go back in time, you know, in that time that four to five years the birth rate dropped. I mean, there was a lot of tight shorts <laughs> and polyester and whatnot. Well, I know we had a good team, and I started, yeah. I started play-by-play at Purdue in 82-83 season, so I remember those days, and we had 84 was our first championship yep. team with Coach Katie, and then came back in 87-88 oh, with, with Troy Lewis and Todd Mitchell. And but always had trouble winning at Northwestern. Well, we'd, we'd hang around. We're, we're like that relative that just won't leave. I mean, you know eventually. <laughs> at that time, at least we were going to go away, but we're going to make you earn it. And then you worked, uh, then you played for uh, a guy that uh, I've heard you talk a lot about, oh, Bill Foster. Yeah. I, and my and my first go around with Coach Foster was in 1980. He was the coach at Duke, and Purdue was in the uh, regional finals, had beaten Indiana and uh, was playing Duke to go to the Final Four and beat him there uh, in Lexington, Rupp Arena. So that was my first run at him. Later, he was the head coach at South Carolina. Right. And I did the game the day he had the heart attack. He had a heart attack in South Carolina. And then he ended up at uh, then he ended up at Northwestern, and you say it was uh, quite a dandy. He, he was, and and I'll preface this by saying, you know, both of the guys, you know, you could say I, I probably killed both of their careers, but yet they'll still take my call. <laughs> and uh, Coach Falk, you know, I still go up and, and go up to his camp. You know, he still runs a camp, and I go up there, and and I, I you know, I owe him a lot because he gave me an opportunity, I'll, and I'll never forget that. And then. You know, Coach Foster came in, and um, Larry, you like this story. I'll clean it up just a hair. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when a new coach comes in, you know, he kind of wants to let you know who there's a new sheriff. And, right. I mean, the first two weeks were unlike anything I'd ever, ever been through. And uh, after, you know, a couple weeks, you know, and this is when you started October 15th, and you didn't play until after Thanksgiving then, at that point in time. So they just had nothing but time to work and but about two weeks in, and coach calls me over, and he says, uh, Morris, get over here. So I went over there, and I'm like, man, what did I do now? And he said, you know, he said, uh, when I took this job, people said, you know, you were my best player. And he said, uh, you know, I wanted everyone to start with a fresh start. He says, after a couple weeks, you know, I just got to tell you, you're, you know, you're, you're our best player. And they were right. And so I started to feel really good. <laughs> he takes two steps, and he turns back toward him, and he goes, we're screwed. <laughs> 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 oh, and uh, the old confidence booster. Well, and and but but you know, and he had that sarcastic part to him. But I also know that he, you know, he did. I know I know some of the things he did for me, but I don't have an idea of all the things he did for me. And you know, he passed away about a year ago. And, uh, and I, I talked to him at least once a month, every year, every month for the, the last twenty five years prior to wow. him passing away. Wow. And uh, 
he, you know, he always, in his own way, you know, he'd always ask how you were doing, and then he'd always said, "I'd still be coaching if it wasn't for you," and you know, stuff, <laughs> stuff like that. But uh, you know, he really, he, both of those guys were really impactful in my life. You know, one guy just gave me a chance when no one else was really beating down the door, and man, you never forget that. Yeah, absolutely. I would ask also, Sean, that to kind of talk about this just for a moment is that selling point to any athlete um, you know you may not be uh, a four star or five star player but you have an opportunity to play in the Big Ten or in the ACC or in the Big East and you're thinking to yourself boy that's kind of hard to pass up and then go into a league knowing that you most likely aren't going to buy for championships yet you're going to visit some of the great arenas in the country and some of the best programs. And, you know, going to go to Indiana, you're yep. going to go to Purdue, you're going to go to some of these places that, is, you know, it's quite a treat. And there are a lot of players that do that. I mean, if you have that opportunity, it's it's a great – and in your case, thrown in on top of that now, is uh, you're a scholarship player at one of the great academic institutions in the world. Well, and it's, it's a place that without basketball, my parents – if they if they were Hindu and came back in eight lifetimes, they couldn't have afforded to send me there. And so, I it opened up doors for me. And I think it, you know what what I hope that the, you know whether it's the kids at Purdue or Northwestern or any of these schools is that yeah, hopefully you can go on and maybe make a little money playing basketball. But if you come and you're an athlete and you take care of your business and you get your degree in whatever it is and you're a decent person, you, they have no idea the number of people that when it's over will, will want to help them right I can't tell you enough and I know I know uh, Elliot does the same thing I I have preached that since I've been in this league to players and I'm talking guys at the end of the bench yep. and I've always said exactly what you just said you just have to understand by getting your degree here right by playing where you have played you don't have to leave the state of Indiana nope. and most likely whatever vocation you choose you're going to be successful because you have a door in and an opportunity yep. that very very few people ever get and take and embrace it that's right and take and and take it and you're a great example of how that works out well and every athlete who plays faces his ups and downs and when you get in that's what employers are looking for they want people who can take those challenges on and they, they don't want somebody to come in who has never been Challenged or faced adversity, and then the first time something goes wrong, well, then they're you know then it's a mess on their hands. Well, and it's you know to to your point, Elliot. I'll, I'll say this is that you know I, I'm so glad that I had the opportunity and, and I learned a lot, but it wasn't easy. I mean, my, my first year there, whew, that was first of all, you know uh, I I'm going to show what a hillbilly I am, Larry. I'd never heard of pizza delivery, and <laughs> I remember I remember seeing a kid walking down the hall with a pizza. And, and I said, I go, hey, you know, where'd you get that? And he looked at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, I, I didn't see, you know, I didn't see a pizza hut nearby or anything like that. And he says, you call and they bring it. And I go, <laughs> they'll do that? So, I, and it, it was an adjustment. And, and it certainly was an adjustment basketball-wise because, you know, when you're 17 or 18, there's a big difference between that and 22. And, um in you our got, league then oh was. man and you've got two choices Larry you can either you know find your safe space or whatever and and you know suck your thumb or 
it's 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 one thing to get your lunch money taken on Monday, but it better not happen Tuesday. And yeah. and uh, the last thing that was going to happen is you know me calling home and complaining because I you know one time I kind of started down that road. And my dad says you know so what you're not playing as much as you want, and I said well, and he said you know what I got two words for you: get better. <laughs> and he goes, I gotta go to work. So yeah. Now let me ask you this: how how long or how how long were you in Evanston before, or did you get out to the city? And I mean, you're talking a world-class city, and not many, not many college campuses have that setting. And then you talk about your background and coming to not only to a, a bigger city but a huge city. You want the truth? <laughs> yeah. I was well into my sophomore year before I went down there, and um, it might have been toward the end. And someone said, "I've got tickets to a Cubs game," and I said, "Oh, okay." And they said, well, meet me on the train. I go, I've never been on the train. I don't, you know, they said, well, you've been here two years. I said, yeah, well, but I figured it out. And it's, it's a, you know, my wife and I still live in one of the suburbs there, but um, I'm never, I'm never going to be a big city guy. It's just not my thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I don't need a whole lot. And that's good because that's usually what I get. <laughs> well, you've been doing games a long time uh, for the Big Ten Network. You're in studio a lot, too any preference i know it's probably more convenient for you to go to studio because it's in chicago but what do you prefer you know if i if i i love them both because i mean what what can you complain about you're sitting there talking about basketball um but if you had to choose one i would i would go with the games because you get a chance to go to practices you get a chance to it's a it's a confined period of time you have an atmosphere and you know the studio is great but it's a whole lot of sitting around, yeah, right? I mean, yeah. you come on and, you know, you know that maybe with the exception of my mother and maybe my wife if she's <laughs> home, when they see my face, everyone goes to the bathroom and gets a sandwich. <laughs> snack break. Snack break, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I never, I've been married three times and I never had one of them ever watch me. Yeah. <laughs> or listen to me. Yeah. Or You're an announcer? Yeah, and you'd come home. Remember, remember this? You'd come home and, uh, you know, it was heartbreaking. And... Uh, first thing at the door. Hi, honey. How has your night been? And you're ready to commit suicide. <laughs> well, we lost in double overtime. Yeah. How do you think? Double overtime, and now we're in second place. Uh, let's see. What does second place mean? <laughs> uh, my wife loves sports. She, you know, she played volleyball in college and all that. But uh, oh, you were smart. Oh yeah. And, well, she wasn't, but I was. Yeah. You didn't have to say that. We knew that. <laughs> <laughs> so I, we talk about this a lot when you're on the road. Um, you know, we have kind of our second family, the, the crew that we travel with, our team, our support staff, you know, the radio guys, all that. But the guys that, you know, you see familiar faces. We see you on mm-hmm. the road quite a bit. You know, we're, we're, we see TV producers, other radio guys, you know, other uh, people, at, whether it's at a hotel or, um, you know, building staff, things like that. But you do kind of build a camaraderie with the people in, the, in, in season. And there is – Despite the fact that the 14 teams are trying to kill each other when they go head to head, there is a camaraderie within the league when you see everybody out like this. Yeah, there really isn't. And, and you know, the thing about what I get a chance to do is that you know I don't work with the same guy. You know, I think they like to spread the pain around, which is fine. Um, but I've developed some really good relationships and, and met some people that I would have never had a chance, you know, to meet otherwise. And um, this going to, to shoot arounds and practices to me is as much fun as anything because. Right you see how different guys interact with their team and how they prepare them differently and not that there's any way that's that's the preferred way but you know different guys 
when guys get in trouble, I think, is when they try to do something that's not in their personality. Yeah. You know, and uh, and, and sometimes you see that, but usually it's just, I, I just learn a lot watching how guys interact with their teams, and you can also tell when a team gets along, and you can tell when guys have um, individual agendas, and you can certainly tell um, if there is a player who's really good, but he's an awful teammate. Yeah. And, and I, I think that, you know, Larry's kind enough. You know, I had an okay career, you know, and, you know, numbers and whatnot. But to me, if you played this game, hopefully the best thing someone can say about you, in my opinion, is that, that guy was a good teammate. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the Purdue folks that, uh, that, that follow this team, you know, they can feel confident that, that their best player, at least in my observation, you know, Caleb Swanigan is a great teammate and, and just a really fun guy to watch because you can tell that playing means something to him, but it also means something to be part of this team. Yeah, we're very fortunate. We've got a great group of guys that all get along well. They're a pleasure to be around. We just, we've had a great time being around them this year and, you know, hopefully a lot more basketball in us. But that's one of those things with the parity this year nationally in college basketball. It's, it, there's, to me, there's no, there's no Goliaths out there. Uh, you know, we played one of the teams that's ranked in the top three in, in Villanova yep. to start the year, and I don't think anybody around our, around our program would give it a second thought to play those guys again. There's not, you know, there's nobody that's head and shoulders better than everybody. And the team, I think, that's got that chemistry and that it is a tight-knit group is going to stand a real good chance to make a run in March. Yeah, uh, no question about it. And, and they, they share the ball. Um, and when, you know, when you can tell a little bit about how a team, I think, is going to be. Like when things go south, do you see five guys kind of splinter? And, and do you see all this, you know, point, right. you know, rather than a thumb pointer, you see a bunch of finger pointers. I mean, because anyone could be a front runner. I mean, that that's easy. Right. And it, it, you know, when you lose a game, you know, do you see guys like they're they're mad, or they're like, well, I got mine, right? Yeah. And right. Um, th- I think that's a really good point. And, and a team in our league that's that's kind of like that. In addition to you know Maryland and, and Purdue is, you know, you watch Wisconsin, but they're not they're not the most talented group. But I've had, you know, the game at Minnesota last weekend, to me, is a great example. Things weren't going their way, they, but you never saw anybody panic. And going back to what, you know, Larry and I were talking about earlier, it's because they got older guys. Right. Guys that have been right. through it. And, you know, you didn't see any panic. And, you know, the coaches were doing their thing. But it's one thing to have that. It's another thing to have once they step out on the floor. Guys are like, okay, we're going to be all right. Let me ask you before we get to our final four questions. Um, let me ask you looking at what Northwestern's doing this year and you know special season so far uh, I think and I would I'm not in their shoes I would probably get annoyed at the talk of you know the tournament talk Um, but they've handled it great they've embraced it and as an alum it's got to be really cool to see what they're doing it it, it is and and you know what to your point about it's kind of like the Cubs in the city earlier or whatever you know how you get people to stop about talking something you've never done do it yeah. And, and I think that's kind of the atmosphere that they've tried to create. Um, you know, it's it's fun to watch just from a, a, a basketball fan standpoint because, you know, they've gone on the road and won, I don't know, four or five league right. games already. And games that in the past they might have pushed it all the way for 35 minutes in the last five. You know, you just had this feeling, you know, I've seen this movie before. Yeah. And, and it doesn't happen. And, um, you know, and they're not just good bat. They've got some really good athletes. I mean, um, Lindsey and Law are as two of 
set of wings as you're going to see in the league this year. I mean, they're really good. And, and McIntosh is, is a guy that, I mean, people drive me nuts. I mean, fans go, you know, McIntosh is having an awful year. I mean, what, what, what are you watching? Okay, so he went through a little period of period where he, he didn't shoot the ball well. But he does so much for that team, and there's a reason that he averages 34, 35 minutes a ball game. And now he's starting to shoot the ball better, and, and people think, oh, he's playing. It, it, there's more. I mean, that's the ultimate goal is to put the ball through the basket, but there's other things. In well, the now he's not needed to score as much either. Right. And they, that's the stuff they don't understand is now they've got a lot of pieces around him. And we're going to get to see him here twice. Well, We've had him twice the rest of the way. And uh, they're a really, really good team. And, they, and as you mentioned, He's not a one. I think when he first came in, um, they were going through him a lot. Not the case now. There's there's a lot of hands on deck. No, uh, you know, thing that's concerning for a Purdue fan is we, heck, we've had trouble with Northwestern when they were bad. You know, yeah. I mean, serious, especially there, and they've beaten us a couple times at home where we've had some pretty good teams. So, uh, you know, they're they're of great concern, but it's great to see, and I, you know. Regardless of what happens tomorrow night, and hopefully a Purdue win, but if Purdue wins, uh, we're going to have actually a showdown game, you know, mid-season Big Ten showdown game with Northwestern at Mackey yeah. Arena on Wednesday, and then go to Maryland. Yeah, so. and and uh, you know we've talked about their wings, and you know the kid Pardon is, is pretty good too. Yeah, you know? and they, so they they have, and you you know the reason that that uh, they've got other guys is that like we're seeing out here right now, you have to have some competition in practice. You have to have, you can't have a drop-off where the, you know, the first five guys are so much better that they don't get better during the week. And they, there are some players now that if a guy's not performing, Coach Collins can go to the bench and say, you know what, you're out, you're in. And you may have a momentary drop, but it's not like it was might have been in years past where, um, you know, it was just a precipitous drop. Right. Yep. It's amazing how that competition leads to uh, leads to great things usually. So, okay, uh, we're going to get on to the final four now. Our final four questions here with our guest Sean Morris. Okay, Sean. First, right. uh, the uh, best or latest book you've read. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, the latest. I'll go with the best. Um, now, this is kind of obscure. Okay, that's All good. Right. We like that. Uh, You're kind of an obscure guy. I am. I. I. I I read uh, an, a biography of Calvin Coolidge written by Amity Thays. It was really interesting. Um, you know, they, they called him Silent Cal, and, you know, that's kind of all I knew about him. And I read this and, you know, his background and how, you know, he had some tragedy in his life. But it was, I love history. We do, too. We're, I, we're, I love history. And, uh, you know, any guy that has a lady say to him, you know, they said, I they bet me I, you can't, I can't get you to say three words, and he said you lose. That's my kind of guy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. Well, that okay. That's a that's, that's interesting. That's one we got to add to the list. We Larry and I are big history guys too, and in fact, a lot of our road conversations will center on um, history or books yeah. we've read on that subject. You so. really like it too, and it's it's uh, it's well documented. It's not like you know. Like it's written by TMZ or something. It's good. And an obscure book because Calvin Coolidge is kind of a, not wouldn't be in many people's top ten if, in terms of presidents, oh, I bet right? You, I bet you if you asked um, 99% of the seniors in high school in America oh. who Calvin Coolidge was, <laughs> yeah. it'd be amazing yeah. the, uh, the answers that you would get. Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of people would say, what, who, when, where, how? Go ahead. 
<laughs> way to way to depress the audience, Larry. That's, that's why you're here. No, I'm I know. Just okay, now this next question, I, I I I think we Larry and I I think know the answer, and I'm excited for our guests to hear the hear about this. But your go-to music that you oh. like to listen to, <laughs> <laughs> Leonard by God Skinner. I've seen him 54 times in concert. Wow. <laughs> now how about that? Isn't that cool? Oh, that's. Now we now I've known that I've known that about Sean, but then um, there was a game you did earlier in the year where a producer got a backstage picture. Oh, it was and that and and you and I talked about that story earlier in the year. So share that story with us. Um, yeah, I didn't know that the guy was going to put it on there, but uh, <laughs> um, actually the guy that that um, was producing the game that day, he had sent me because he knew I was a fan, and he he goes out to Las Vegas all the time and so they sent him they said hey he goes hey we got this pre-sale to this show out at whatever I thought I'd send it along to you and I saw it and I'm like I didn't even check with the Minister of Finance I'm like I'm doing it so I, I ordered a couple tickets and I called my buddy and I you know I surprised him he said where are we sitting I go front row baby and we had a meet and greet oh it was phenomenal I was I had my jean shorts on I was resplendent <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're gonna go to see Skinner, you gotta have the jean shorts. Did you have a tank top? I did not have a tank top, but I will say this: now, if you <laughs> wanted to see a sociological experiment, see my folks, the Skinner crowd, letting out onto the floor of the casino floor at uh, at, at this upscale place, this like new place. It was like Mars, Venus. I mean, it was. Cr- <laughs> It was fantastic. I've seen Skinner in concert a couple times. Uh, great show. And uh, I saw him in Indianapolis a couple times. I worked for a radio station, and I was involved with some meet and greets. And when you have a fan who's real passionate about a band, and they get to go to those meet oh. and greets, it is really, really cool I, to see. I, it, was, I was, it was borderline smart whether I wore the jean shorts because I almost had to change them. It was fantastic. <laughs> I saw Frankie Valley. Um, Four seasons, perhaps you recall him back in Skinner the and Frankie 60s. Valley, yeah, right there. Yeah, right. I mean, it's almost uh, John Sebastian. Remember him? Love and Spoonful. Oh, Love and Spoonful. Yeah, I saw them in the Standby Auditorium in Youngstown, Ohio. He also wrote the theme to Welcome Back, Cotter. I know. See? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I just thought since we were going to talk Skinner, we might as well talk real artists. Now, does does Skinner have a uh, have they have you read any books on Skinner? Is there oh, anything yeah. out there? Good stuff. Yeah, you know, a lot of it is just kind of compilation of um i mean sad to say but you know a lot of them are dead so yeah dead yeah. didn't tell no tale so that's why i see them as much as i can because you know we're all on borrowed time right right i just read a mick fleetwood Some more book. than others <laughs> <laughs> i just read a mick fleetwood book that was unbelievable the drummer for fleetwood oh, yeah. Mac, and it was fantastic unbelievable stories um so anyway Okay, so the third question of the final four for Sean Morris, what occupation other than what you currently do would you like to do if given the chance? And training skill set is no object here. This is a complete fantasy. Man, oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I would like it because I'm about as useless as you fill in whatever. I, I, I would like to be in a, in a, in a craft or something where you worked with your hands because I have a lot of respect for people that can do that um, you know and I just I mean I can mow the yard um, I can you know do stuff like that but in terms of creating something building something designing something seeing it come to life whether it would be like a someone that could work on cars or something i mean i could put gas in it and that's right. about the extent right. of it um but there's no like a real I, I just have a lot of respect for that because that's something that is completely 
foreign to me. You know, I just can't do it. And in this day and age, if you have a skill, you're going to work as long as you want. And you'd like Elliot's dad because he can can do all that stuff. (laughs) He's he's a wizard. But you you can work as long as you want doing the doing. Think about it. There's, you know, there's a a big decline in that. That's been a recent uh, effort of Mike Rowe, the guy that hosts Dirty Jobs. He's been really pushing that trade, you know, vocational stuff. And I like I like physical labor. I mean, I love. You know, I love cutting the grass. I love going down to visit my folks and helping out, you know, around there. You know, but it, in terms of, like, like building a barn, and things, forget it. You know, I mean, right. you wouldn't want to. You wouldn't live in anything that I built because <laughs> it wouldn't make code. <laughs> Me too. I'm the only guy in the world who puts a grill together and it's backwards. Yeah, exactly. It makes things colder. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay, last question. What is something that people don't know about Sean Morris? Ah. Uh, no, I told you my 54 Skinner things. Yeah, that is... Um, that is phenomenal. That is. Okay, I'll tell you this one. This is... this is. A, I am the first male on my mom's side of the family not to be a minister. Wow. Wow. Boy, did I mess that one up. Wow. So, I mean, did that become like an issue? No, it, 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 it never was. Um... But I, I will say this, is that um, I remember going with my grandfather. And you remember how there's just things in life that you just are seared into your memory. And, uh, you know, my mom is from Upper East Tennessee, and that's where my grandparents were. And, and we didn't go on vacation, but if we went anywhere, we went to visit them. And my grandfather, you know, had a um, congregation. And uh, some of the folks, you know, they didn't have a car. They didn't have anything. So he, would, he called it go, going to visit. Going on, and, he go, and he took me with him a couple times, and I'll never forget this. It was the first time I ever saw a dead body, and they because they couldn't afford an undertaker, and they had the body laid out on the kitchen table. He came in, did the service, and he said, "Now they're going to offer you something to eat." He said, "You tell them that you, that you that we've already eaten." He says, because they're going to try to serve you something that you don't know what it is. But he goes, that's all these folks have. He said, you don't look down on them. He goes, this is the best that they have. And he says, this is, and I'll never forget that. Oh, I would. I guess you wouldn't if the guy's sitting on a, laying on the kitchen table. Did, did, did you ever see um, Coal Miner's Daughter? When, when, when I saw it, but I don't remember what you're talking about. And when her father passed away, I mean, that that that's the same kind of scene. And I was maybe eight or nine years old and uh i'll never forget that but uh in terms of getting the call from the head man uh, it didn't happen didn't happen wow that is that is that might be the best final four we've had that's good stuff it was very good well he's the first guy we've had in the final four that reads (laughs) 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 including including at least one of the hosts that we know um (laughs) well our our thanks for coming on sean we appreciate it and uh, we want to thank Sylvia Booker for getting Sean to appear. She, of course, does all our bookings for us. And we're yeah. and understand one thing. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt here, but just remember one thing. Sometimes you guys, when you want your money, uh, understand that in our system, at least what we have set up, you know, sometimes the numbers don't go that high. So, so you know. If you're, well, if, we have if a if lovely look, gift basket that yeah. Sylvia sends out to all the guests. Well, I will uh, say this. It's edible. You know what, Larry? Who needs money? When I got Thunder Buddies for life. There you go. (laughs) 
Well, thank you very much, Sean. Thanks for coming on. We really appreciate oh, it. Sean's got fun. Sean's got the call tomorrow on our game here at Nebraska, and uh, we certainly enjoy all the work he does on the Big Ten Network. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to Purdue Podcast, or Purdue Basketball Podcast. This was Episode 13, and until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.